Welcome to Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment. Hi there, ladies and gents, and welcome to this episode of the Sophisticated Property Investment Podcast with myself, Frank Flegg, founder of Ethical Property Partners. And today I have with me... Amanda Jarvis-Doyle. Welcome, Amanda. Amanda is our master franchise area owner for England and Wales. And she has joined me today because... Just last week, we shared a quote of the week. We have a quote for every single week. And we thought, do you know what? That is so common in property. We need to do a podcast about that. And so the quote of the week is here. Would you like to share it, Amanda, or would you like me to? It's a Tony Robbins quote. Now, Tony Robbins is one of my favorites. But it basically says, if you want to play the game and win, you've got to play full out. You've got to be willing to feel stupid and you've got to be willing to try things that might not work. And if they don't work, be willing to change your approach. Otherwise, how could you innovate? How could you grow? How could you discover who you really are? Now, that's a lot of words, right? But basically, if I sum it up, you've got to take action and you've got to be okay with things not going to plan. And you've got to course correct as you go along. And I think that's so true. And so what Amanda and I thought is rather than have this as some like strategic nebulous conversation, we are going to give you (laughs) real life examples of when things have not gone to plan. Some of them we've solved and we've made successes out of them. Some of them we haven't. They could really be classed as disasters. I've got a couple of those to share with you. And some of them we still haven't solved now and they're real challenges that we have right now. So this is going to be a bit of a to and fro. I'm going to start off with an example and then Amanda's going to ask me questions about it and then she'll do an example and I'll ask her questions and we'll see how many we can get in in the next 30 minutes or so. Right, let me kick off with a real current example of the goalpost moving and things not going to plan. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast, if you watch our YouTube channel, you'll be familiar with my deal in Bedford, where we've recently, about three, four, five weeks ago now, probably four weeks ago, completed on 27 apartments, one bedroom apartments. We purchased them for 2.5 million and they have been valued without us doing any work to them at 3.6 million by independent Rick Surveyor. So we've got 1.1 million pound discount. Amazing, right? Who wouldn't want a deal like that? We funded the 2.5 million 100% out of other people's money even the purchase costs and the stamp duty, etc. There were loads of layers of icing in terms of how we structured the deal. First off, and this was the first failure, and I'm going to keep using the word failure because I think it's useful to realize that even when you've done an amazing deal, and that is an amazing deal, however you look at it, that's a fantastic deal. There are always failures. And halfway through the episode, I'm going to start calling them challenges, right? But for now, I think a lot of novice investors would see this failure, would come up against it and would throw in the towel. So first off, we had a housing association that wanted to buy it off us and they were willing to pay 3.1. So that would have given us £600,000 in profit. And we wouldn't have even had to finance the properties. um, We wouldn't have had to own them. We wouldn't have to pay stamp duty. Amazing TDIC deal, turning discounts into cash flow. But we had to draw a line in the sand and say, they're taking too long. We're going to lose the whole deal. And we had to then stump up the money to buy the deal. So that's the first failure. The second failure I haven't yet announced. So this is news. If you listen to all of our stuff, and I know some of you listen to every single podcast, and watch every single YouTube episode, you'll already know what I've just said. But here's the new bit. 
and this is an evolving thing, the deal isn't done until you've made all your money and you've got it on long-term finance, etc. The deal we structured in such a way that we were going to sell two-fifths. The whole portfolio is made up of 27 apartments, but they are located in five buildings. So we bought five freehold buildings in effect. And we were going to sell, we had agreed to sell two of those buildings so two-fifths of the portfolio at full market value one investor and we know these investors quite well one investor had said yes they'd take it now i'm taking maddie's word for it and maddie's giving me the best impression she's got of where she's at with these investors so one investor said yeah i'll buy one of the whole buildings at market value and the other investor that they were a finance investor on the deal as soon as i can turn that into a property i want to buy a property and maddie had looked at it and thought right as soon as we've done the deal and they've left their finance investment in we'll then say to them actually we can turn that finance investment into owning a fifth of this portfolio and those two fifths we're going to pay off so much of our lending that then it was really easy for us to refinance one of the properties and we would then have paid everyone back and we'd have two left over that was like the rough plan that we had but as tony robbins says you have to be okay you have to be willing to try things that might not work and there's no guarantee the number of investors i've come across who are looking for certainty. You cannot get certainty in this business. If you're if you've got a deal that's 1.1 million pounds below market value, you're going to have to take some risk. And lo and behold, after completion, she went to the investor that was going to buy the building who'd already said yes in her understanding, and they've recently been pitched another property by someone else and they've decided not to buy our property. So that is like a big chunk of our exit strategy. If we're if we're refinancing one and selling two, that's over a third of our exit strategy just gone. She pitched the property to the finance investors who've already put their money in and she thought that was like a no-brainer. And they've said, yeah, that'd be amazing. But rather than buy the whole building, we'll just take half of the building. <laughs> so they're taking like two or three flats. So all of a sudden, we had these two buildings that we're going to bring in, I think they were bringing in around 1.7 million, something like that in cash at full market value. So that pays off a load of lending and gives us some profit or pays off more lending. All of a sudden now we're selling something like £300,000 or £400,000 of property, which ain't going to get us to the 2.5 million. So we've really had to adjust and that's another failure and we could say oh you know these investors they're so flaky they keep changing their mind or i could turn around and go oh maddie she should have you know done this or done that but the long and short of it is we're all doing our best we're all highly confident competent rather we're all well we are highly confident but we're highly competent at what we're doing but things don't always go to plan and, and could we have done better? Yeah, we could have signed them up onto agreements. Absolutely. We could have taken deposits off them. Definitely, especially with the first investor. We actually took the decision, the educated decision or the educated chance, the calculated risk, if you like, of not sharing the deal that we had in mind with the finance investor. They're an unsophisticated investor because they're buying full market value. And so we didn't want to say, you're going to put your money in and then we're going to turn your finance investment into a purchase investment. That would have been too complicated. and We might have lost them as a finance investor and they're really happy with the deal they've got and the interest they're getting. And so now we're faced with, and we're, we're cracking on with this because we're faced with the situation where we're on a really expensive bridge and pretty expensive. It depends on which particular investor finance investment on a 100% finance purchase. So if we do nothing for the next, I think we've got lending for 15 months, 
we then just oh it's it's all rolling up the interest is rolling up which gives us great cash flow now but we're in a situation where we would then really struggle to pay off the bridge and that's what people sometimes come unstuck with bridging finance and so what we've done in the last two weeks 10 days to two weeks is we've worked really hard to work out another exit so now we're refinancing three of the properties and we've picked those properties to make sure they're high value ones to make sure that the flats in them are large enough because some of the flats in the portfolio are under 30 square meters so they're not easily financeable most mortgage companies want at least 30 square meters to place a mortgage on it i've already talked about the fact that we agreed with the finance company, the bridging provider, to allow us to split the freeholds into leaseholds whilst they still had their charge on the property. So we've sorted that a lot of novice investors would have missed that. And we had to look at the purchase prices of these buildings. Now, what we did, which was clever, is we didn't buy them all at the same discount off 3.6 million. So if it was 2.5 million and they're all worth the same amount, we could have bought each of them at 500k, even though each of them's worth 720 grand, but in, which is 3.6 divided by five, I think. But instead of that, we didn't do that because what we would have then been trying to do is refinance properties that we just bought at a BNB price. And everyone knows that they're going to get downvalued because we've just shown the bank what the market value is by paying that lower amount. So we've, we would have sucked down the market value. So what we did, which was quite clever in terms of thinking forwards, is we bought three of them at full market value and two of them at ridiculously low purchase prices. So we bought three at full market value and we bought two at like a hundred grand each. And what we're now doing is we're refinancing three of them. Now we can't refinance one of the full market value ones because there's too many flats in there that are smaller than 30 square meters. But what we are doing is we're refinancing one of the full market value ones, another of the full market value ones, and we're refinancing one of the ones that we bought at hundred K. Now that is hard to explain to a lender but we are just going to say we bought it massively below market value 620,000 pounds below market value and it's now clearly worth 720 because you've just had your own RICS valuation done on it and they've said it's worth 720 can we please have 75 percent of that we do have some challenges because we bought it on 100 percent finance so we've gone with a lender that allows a same day refinance we've gone with sophisticated lenders that we think will be happy with the equity rather than a deposit from us but we're being completely transparent about how we bought the properties the rents are below market value rents some of our rents i think we've put up 10 rents in the last week and we've got another 17 to go some of those rents are going up by more than 60%. So really high hikes in rent because they were they were rented at such below market value prices. But the reason we're having to put them up in a hurry, now we were planning to put them up, but not quite this quick. Some of the lenders are only willing to lend on current rents, not on market rent. And on one of the properties, we've got a lender who will go on market rent rather than what the current tenants are actually paying. So lots of detail there. I appreciate it. And I'm talking really fast, but I wanted to share that with you guys because that there is a lot of failure. I'm going to stop using that word now because it's really negative and I've conditioned myself to be positive. So that's um, a lot of challenge. I'm going to use that moving forward. But my point is none of it's insurmountable. It's all surmountable. And yes, they're big numbers. And yes, it's unfortunate that the investors 
haven't gone ahead as we'd hoped they would. And oh, another thing, got a message today. The bay window, front bay window on one of the properties has moved. We're sure it was there before, but I've not gone and seen these properties and Maddie can't remember seeing it, but £5,000 worth of works because this dropped bay window, like they used to put the bay windows on next to no foundations. And um, it now needs underpinning and then improving and then obviously reattaching to the the house and et cetera, et cetera. £5,000. Now, £5,000 isn't massive on a £2.5 million project, but it is when you haven't sold anything and you haven't got any of that money in your pocket. And so there's another challenge to overcome. But, and this is the thing, with the right mindset, with the right, okay, this was to be expected. We didn't expect everything to go to plan. We expected there to be further challenges. We didn't think the deal was done when we completed on the property. The deal is done when it's on long-term finance, when we've sold everything we're going to sell, when it's making us money month in, month out, and we're only spending a couple of hours a month on the portfolio. That's when the deal is done, which might be 12 months time. It might be 18 months time. And you might think, oh, that's a lot of work. You know, didn't you work on this for nine months before you bought it? Yeah. So what's that? Two years work? Yeah. How much have we made? It's not bad at all. There is no such thing as easy money. There's no such thing as a shortcut. You always have to earn the money somewhere. But I'm more than happy for Maddie and I to work hard. We're spending a day together in a week's time looking at these properties, walking around them. That'd be the first time I've seen them. Those of you that are red flag people, you might be thinking, well, you should have really walked around them before, Frank. I would have walked around them before. Absolutely. Perhaps I should have gone and walked around them before. Perhaps. What did I do on that day that I wouldn't have then been able to do? Maybe I was there launching a martial arts school on that day, or maybe I was there training some of our franchisees and adding value there. And so you can only invest your time as you think is best at the time. How many deals, if I go and walk around them all before I do them. How many deals wouldn't I do? Because I wouldn't have time to go walk around them. I I went and saw a project, a property rather, four bedroom uh, property recently up in Carlisle. I think I did a a YouTube episode while I was up there actually. I've owned that with some JV partners, some of our franchisees for over a year and never seen it before. You and I've got properties I've never seen, Amanda, haven't we? So it's all a balance. But the message from what Tony Robbins says there, and I think it's such a good quote, I really like the quote, is if you want to play the game and win, you've got to play full out. You've got to expose yourself to some failure. When that failure comes along, when those challenges hit, you're going to feel stupid. You're going to feel like you should have done something different or you shouldn't have taken action. But you have to take action and you have to risk failure in order to win. I guess it's the the metaphor for for in, in sporting terms is if in football, you, you all lined up on the goal line, all 11 of you, and you all hold hands and you stop the team scoring. But you're destined never to win if you do that because you're never going to score a goal. But as soon as you start running around on the pitch and trying to score a goal, yeah, the other team might, might score against you. So that's an example, a recent example. What have you got, Amanda? Oh, have you got any questions about that or, or observations perhaps before we move on? You've come up against an obstacle and you haven't given up. You've gone, okay, so the wall's too high to climb, so we'll go around the wall instead and we'll find a way to make it work. And I think both of you have demonstrated that perfectly in this deal. We all do it in varying levels and and degrees, don't we, within our property businesses. But in this example, you're talking about much bigger numbers and the, the fear element could quite easily have let either of you be stopped by it and gone, oh, do you know what? This is just too hard. We're going to give up. Let's walk away from the deal. Let's put it 
back on the open market. Let's see what we can do. But your tenacity and, and your your determination to find a solution, both for yourselves, but also for the vendor. Don't need to forget the vendor here. The vendor is in a situation where they really want to sell these properties. They've got a headache. And your ability to just stick with it and find an alternative solution has just been incredible. Thank you. And it really is that belief that you can overcome something. I think a lot of investors don't believe they can do a deal until they're surrounded by people who are actually doing these deals day in day out they don't believe they can do it and they'll put stuff in their way we, we could still be trying to wait for the housing association to buy this property so we can make our 600 grand now but we would have already lost the vendor and that's the long and short about it. it's the long and short of it it's about that course correction and changing direction and and working out how to play the game that's in front of you as the players are moving and as the situation and the environment's evolving and you know we're in such a changeable environment at the moment but that's brilliant because it gives us loads of opportunities so in what ways have you been challenged i think i'd like to use an example um from a client actually um from one of our uh, mem well one of our partners um They've come to to us recently and said, basically, um, they've got a TDIC uh, turning discounts into cash flow deal lined up. Due to the increase of interest rates recently, mortgage rates have gone up. It, house prices have increased at the same time. What they had signed their investor up to, which was a guaranteed minimum 8% return, is proving really challenging to find. And so what they've done is presented a deal to an investor that is 6.9% return on the basis that their previous investment, so this is their second vital investment, uh, their previous investment is making them nearly 17% return on their cash invested. So on that basis, across the two properties, they're still in excess of the 8%, but they have ultimately turned around and said, no, the return isn't great enough for us um, due to stamp duty and the increase in interest rates. And so, okay, so we're going to face this more and more in this market, in the current market. How do we influence this to the degree that this can still be a good deal for someone else? Yeah, it's a really good example of the current climate because inflation's going up quickly. We've got high housing prices now because of the increase in, in property values over the last few years of COVID. We've now got interest rates high and that is a challenge that people are going to come across. Now, you can turn that into a failure by not overcoming it. It is a failure if you fail to get up from it, isn't it? So I think there's the, the old cliche of, you know, to succeed, all you have to do is get up one more time then you get knocked down. That client could go, well, one investor has said, no to one deal that deal has dropped from 10% ROI to 6.9% ROI none of my deals are going to work now I'm going to give up TDIC doesn't work turning discounts into cash flow which is basically sourcing properties BMV and selling them at full market value and putting the discount in your pocket that doesn't work now in this market well you and I know it absolutely works because we've made it work in the past and so we can give that support that encouragement to that investor to that partner and they may not sell that deal to that investor <laughs> that investor may never buy a game from them for completely different reasons but 
It's about how do you package those deals? So 6.9% is still an amazing return. It's just not as good as the 17% that investor got before. And so just a bit of repositioning for our investors, explaining the capital growth is going to be different. The immediate cash on cash return is going to be worse, but better as rents rise with inflation and just understanding the macroeconomics of investing in property at different stages of the market. And most people, to be honest, Amanda, have no idea of the economics. I've just come from a meeting at my um, son's school and with discussing with the SEN coordinators about his level of provision. And they said he is entitled to a full-time teaching assistant, but we can't recruit one. <laughs> we can't get teaching assistants for love nor money. Every school is recre- recruiting them. There aren't enough. I said, well, that's because employment's so high at the moment it's at an all-time high and she said yeah I don't know what's going to happen and how are we going to solve it and I said oh don't worry the economy will solve it for you we're going to have you know recession which we're technically in and then unemployment's going to go up and then there'll be loads of people that will want a 20 grand a year job as a teaching assistant she said oh oh great well I guess every cloud's got a silver lining and and that's the thing most people aren't aware the media don't say don't worry about the lack of unskilled labor at the moment you know hospitality's got major major issues at the moment um all kinds of industries have got major issues with full employment and so not being able to recruit that's a really common thing at the moment across the uk but that will be that's a challenge uh, for businesses for sure but that will be solved when we have unemployment so it's all yin and yang isn't it it's all a, a balance so yeah i think that's a really good example amanda well done so frank the other one i'm thinking about is a jv that we've got we've got a few there you're gonna have to uh <laughs> and i'm hoping this is an issue i know about otherwise it's gonna be you you'll hear my response in in real time guys <laughs> Communication, you guys. Yeah. Um, no, this this is one that I sourced and we ended up JVing on because I sourced it from a uh, and it was it was on the market with a modern auction and often the properties that are listed with modern auction are listed with them for a re- one reason or another and I did do quite a bit of due diligence before I made my offer and, and went ahead with it. Having spoken to several brokers, they were confident that there were lenders and and products available for this property. So basically, it's a property that is in a semi-commercial area. So part residential, part commercial. But it's basically a main shopping street. Lenders with appetite for a property like that are few and far between because I suppose the things that they look at is, okay, so this property has got a cycle shop next door to it right now. But actually, if that cycle shop moves out, that there could be a hot food application made for a change of use. And that could then become a takeaway. Have we got the appetite to to lend on a property that's next door to a hot food outlet? I understand that, you know, there are criteria the lenders use in order to establish whether or not they're willing to lend. I did some research before I sort of went ahead to purchase this. But it's actually proved quite tricky to. Are we on our third or fourth mortgage application on this now, Frank? I think it is one or the other, yeah. And the problem is you worked out what product would work for it before we bought it. And then by the time we'd bought it and went to refinance, the product had gone. And then we're like, oh, we didn't go for a backup product but we found another one and then that one I can't, you'll have to tell us you'll have to tell the guys what the reasons were but it was just one after another wasn't it and I think we're on our third or fourth now and this one looks really optimistic we look like we're about to refinance it but how long have we had our cash stuck in this one I think we're getting up to two years 
but we had an EDC for the first chunk of time. Yes, we did. Um, so I think it's coming up to a year. So no, no, but we had our, we had an EDC for about nine months, didn't we? So is it like 15 months or something that we've had our money stuck in it? Absolutely. So in a nutshell, I'll just give you this deal, guys. You'll remember the valuations, won't you, Amanda? Was it one, two, six and a half? And they say I'm not a detail person. So two years ago, maybe a bit longer now, we exchanged contracts on this. Gave the vendor 20 grand, I think. I think we might have mentioned this deal on the podcast before. Uh, Correct me if I get any of this detail wrong, Amanda. We then had nine months where we rented the property out and kept the money. No, we did have to pay something to the vendor, didn't we? What did we pay to the vendor? Yeah, we were paying him £1,000 a month. The rent was 525, I think. So it was costing us 475 a month in order to to keep the, the deal for that nine months. So it was basically because we weren't ready to buy it. And then we completed on it and I used my cash. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, so I put my cash in. How much cash did I put into it? 82. So we paid 82 to the vendor in total. So I would have paid him an extra 62. And then we've now been trying to refinance the property. And this is the issue with buying and then refinancing, guys. It's tough at the moment, really, really hard. And so where would you say the challenges have come about? Well, (laughs) three (laughs) lenders saying no, I guess, is a big one. And this one should go through. But when this one goes through, how much money will we get out of it? 75% of 126? No, we've increased the purchase price. We've increased the valuation now because the property's gone up in value in the two years that we've had. Oh, that's hilarious! What have we um? What have we said the value is? I can't remember if it's one forty or one four five. So I don't know what the value is, but I do know that the value has agreed with us. Just so you know, we've had that back in the last week or two. That's why I know it's going through. So the valuations come back and said yes, it is worth X. One hundred and five. Thanks. Do you use calculator or do you do that in your head? No, I used a calculator. <laughs> it's more reliable than me. So one hundred and five, and it only owes us eighty two. So it's, it's, it will turn into a brilliant deal because it's also been rented for that whole two years. And since we've given him his 82, we're getting the whole 525 a month. Is it still 525? Has the rent gone up as well, Amanda? Uh, it's still 525 at the minute. Now, here's the question. If that tenant moved out or we moved that tenant out, what do you think it would now let for? I think we've got a good chance of getting in excess of 600 for that now. And so all of a sudden you've got cash out of the deal. So 105 and we put in 82, we got about 20 grand because there'll be some costs on there. So 20 grand out and we're now getting 600 a month. What will a mortgage cost us? 105 mortgage. That'll- 350 a month. So that costs us 350 a month at 4%, which will, with some letting agents fees and stuff, cost us 400. So yeah, I'll make 200 a month. Not bad at all for a, a, a deal that's given us cash out. But the point is there were loads of, challenges along the way weren't there loads <laughs> i think people would have given up i think people would have walked away um like the vendor said i need the 20 grand within the next week or two otherwise i'm pulling out so we gave him 20 grand that was to finish his yeah, he was doing some works on his house or something was an extension at home that was it and that was his priority he didn't really care when he got his 62 he just wanted his 20 and then he was only willing to wait the nine months if we gave him a grand a month because in his head he was getting nine grand extra for his house. So now he wasn't getting 82, he was getting 91. But of course, we got 525 a month. I think that's what you said the rent was, Amanda, each month off that. So it was a way of giving him nine grand, but it only actually costing us four and a half or so. Excellent. Okay, we bought a property, my business partner and I, in the year where we flipped 26, we bought and sold 26 properties. This is 2009. So middle of a recession, I think we could be 12, 18 months away from 
a very similar environment to 2009. I think that it could be coming 2023, 2024, maybe could be the equivalent of 2009, which is interesting because they say property cycles are 10 to 15 years. Well, that would be 14 years, wouldn't it? So we bought and sold 26 properties at an average hold period of about six weeks. So we were really quick at buying them and selling them. We'd start selling them before we'd even bought them in some cases. And one of them was and I think this is the name of the property, which shows how much pain it caused me at the time, because I can still remember. I can't I can barely remember the name of any of the other 26 properties, but I'm sure it was Borough Road um, in Nottingham. Not certain on that, but I think it was. And I can remember the house, brick house, and I can remember it had like this conifer tree in the front garden because the conifer tree sunk us. <laughs> so annoying. So we had three or four things go wrong on this property. So I forget exactly because it was a long time ago, but a few things stand out. So the first thing was the refurb didn't go to plan. So it took a bit longer to buy and the refurb cost a few grand more. Now we would have started off at maybe 25 grand profit in this. So we buy it, refurb it, sell it at full market value and, and we'd make 25 grand in the middle. We would have started at about 25 because that's what we were averaging or aiming for on most of them and then it would get eroded a bit on some of them and on this one it, it got eroded a lot so the refurb maybe cost us five grand more because it there were a few bits we weren't expecting so all of a sudden we're at 20 grand and then the investor that was buying it bought a racehorse i kid you not and i remember saying right here's your next property mate you know we're, we're going in and he said oh frank i'm so sorry i forgot to tell you i bought a racehorse and i was like no and i won't use the guy's name because people might know him i was like no mate oh but we've lined this up for you so i'm so sorry Frank. i said you you're like you've got a good big business you know you must be able to find i can't remember what he needed like 25 grand to buy this or something they, they were only 100 grand houses he said frank i would but i also had to use my vat money to do this racehorse so like, how expensive was the racehorse he said, well enough that i i used all my vat money and hmrc are really upset <laughs> it missed the vat payment to buy a racehorse it was hilarious and i was like oh okay i had to pitch this house to someone else and in this whole time the market was moving really quick and values were dropping so the property got downvalued now, it would have probably got downvalued by five grand, but it had taken so long to find this other investor and for him to get approved and stuff that our purchase became visible on land registry. The valuer came out and I met the valuer. It was a vacant property. We just uh, finished refurbing it. We'd owned it like four months instead of two months or six weeks. And he could now see on land registry and he'd gone on. I can't remember what it's, it's, it's you know, 2009. So there wasn't as much detail on like Rightmove Plus and Zoopla and stuff. But he'd found a picture anyway of the property for sale. He'd found it for sale at 70 or something. Then he'd found a sold price at 70. And then we were saying it was worth 100 four months later in a falling market. <laughs> and he said, I remember he said to me, this can't be right. And he used my business partner's name. Do you know what Mr. So-and-so um, uh, paid for this? I said, no, no, sorry, I, I couldn't tell you. He said, well, it looks on here like he paid 70000 for it. And I said, oh, I can't imagine that. And he said, but it must be because it's got this conifer tree. And look, it's the only conifer tree in the in the street. And I was like, oh, no, this conifer, I could have cut the conifer tree down, no problem at all. But because it was in this original details that he found at seventy grand and because there was still the only conifer tree in the street we thought it looked quite nice when we'd done the refurb 
he downvalued it. But he didn't downvalue it to 70 because obviously we've done some works, but he downvalued it by I think 15 grand. Our 25 grand had shrunk to 10, but then we'd gone over on the refurb by five. And you know, after costs, we made 4,000 pounds. And I, I remember saying to my business partner, he said, Frank, I cannot sell it for 4,000, but that doesn't even pay my hourly rate. You know, you found the investor, the investors put in 25 grand in or whatever. We've done the refurb. We've had it for four months. We've not had any rent off it because we used to sell them untenanted and then tenant them for our investors. Oh, he said, I can't bring myself to it. Like that's, that's loss making. And I, I remember looking at him and I said, do you know what though? We can hang on to it. But that's not our business model. Our business model at the time was just to flip. And I said, we're property investors. And some of these we're going to make big profits on. And some of them we're going to make no profit. And this was the, the latter. But my, my message is, yes, we took four grand out of it, which was pitiful. Um, didn't even cover our overheads for that time. You know, our petrol and our phones and stuff. But we carried on and we did another one and another one and another one. And some of those made us 20 grand. I remember our best one made us 35, I seem to remember. And it was, you know, six weeks buying it, refurbing it and selling it on. And so my learning from that is absolutely, you're sometimes going to get these wrong, but that's okay. So long as, and this ties in with a recent podcast I've done, so long as you haven't bet the farm on it. So our podcast recently was mistakes property investors make. And one of them is doubling down each time and going for bigger and bigger deals. If you expect to, to mess up at some point, but you keep all your deals at a level where like property we were talking about earlier, Amanda, that didn't sink us. Having 82 grand stuff, well, didn't sink you. You didn't have any of your own money in it. <laughs> but that was our JV was that I put the money in. I'm only joking. But that didn't sink me because I can afford to have 82 grand sat in that for two years. If it was a an eight million pound property, I can't afford to have eight million quid sat in that for 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 two years. That that would be a you know, a massive issue and, and would potentially sink me. And so that's the key, I think, is you've got to take action, but you've got to be okay with that action not ending up with the results you expected and still to, you know, roll with it and keep going. I think if this business has taught me anything, Frank, it's resilience. Also that business can be a really, really lonely place. And ultimately what we find with EPP is we feel as though we're part of a family and we're supported and we've got a great network of people who've got a wealth of knowledge and experience around us. And you can be more resilient when you have that backup. Well, you, you can. There are many people who make huge successes without having a, a, you know, been part of any group. However, what we find is that our franchisees are so much more successful because they've got the power of the franchise and the group and the support and the collective IQ about them rather than them feeling as though they're in an isolated business space. That is like I said, business can be a lonely place. Without that support network and that sense check, you don't know if you should be more aggressive and doing more deals or if this deal is a dead duck and you should be leaving it <laughs> and going on to your next one. It's really hard to get that. Some people are too bold and too confident and are just kamikaze and some people are too cautious and, and are never actually going to get over the inertia of taking action. And then there's a happy, healthy medium in, in between. I'm going to leave you guys with one other example, and this will fill you with confidence, hopefully, and help you to take action. I bought my second ever buy-to-let property. So I bought my first house in 2006. 
that my girlfriend and I lived in. And then we realized we just about had enough money to buy our second house. And that paid me a hundred pound a month profit after I'd managed it myself. I was taking home 1400 pounds a month and this was a hundred pounds a month. So I was thinking I only needed 13 more properties and I would be financially free. I remember thinking I can retire, which is funny, isn't it? It's 2006. That's not that long ago. It's 16 years ago. Oh my goodness, my mass is failing me today. 16 years ago. Yeah, I'd say I'm just, that's just hit me actually, the journey I've been on because I've just valued my portfolio and uh, and worked out uh, my net worth and cash flow position actually. Um, and boy, that has been a journey over, over 16 years. But my second buy-to-let that I bought, that one was like market value, I paid... 15 odd thousand pound deposit. Oh, I no longer have that property. I lost it in my first divorce, but that would be really valuable, that property now. But my second property I kept in the, in the divorce, it was the worst deal I have ever done. I bought it for what I thought was below market value from a new build developer. It wasn't, it was above market value. I spent about £2,000 on it. I did the garden because I thought that'd sell it. And I put some flooring in the bathroom and kitchen. And I really, really thought I was going to make about 20 grand. <laughs> It's hilarious now. It's like the um, the Homes Under the Hammer-itis where you watch it and you think, oh, I could do that. Yeah, I've got the bug. I can go do it. And um, lo and behold, I couldn't sell it. I was losing £550 a month on the mortgage. So I put some tenants in. Do you want to guess how much the tenants were paying a month, Amanda? So my mortgage was five fifty a month on that property. Four eighty. It's four hundred and fifty pound a month. So I was losing a hundred pound a month on this property that I was managing myself. I remember thinking, "Oh, I hate property. That was stupid. I'm never doing this again. I don't understand it." Um, and then I got over it, and I had to find a hundred pound a month to put in, which was really painful. And gradually, that rent has lifted and lifted and lifted now i've got it on a much better mortgage product i think it, it cost me about 320 a month now the loan is the same amount because interest only and now i think i'm right in getting 725 for it and so that's such a difference in terms of that makes me over 350 pounds a month now i think i'm right in saying and i do nothing with it because it was a new build, there's very little maintenance. I think I have had to replace the boiler now because uh, it's, what, 16 years old, the property, 17 years old. But that was an absolute lemon. And at the time, I kicked myself for it. But now it's quite a healthy little earner in my portfolio. So it's the, the, time heals a lot of w- wounds in property. And property over time never fails to reward you so long as you uh, buy sensibly at the start. So hopefully, guys, that little example of a challenge, or if you want to call it a failure, that was definitely a failure at the time for me. Massive failure. My third ever property, and it lost me £100 a month. <laughs> after pl- So plan A was I sell it for 20 grand profit. And then when I couldn't even sell it, plan B was it loses me £100 a month. That was like crazy in terms of risk strategy. But interesting, isn't it? Amanda, and you've used the word resilience loads on this podcast, and that I hadn't thought of that word, but that is what it is, a lot of it. It's that resilience to things not going to plan and that confidence and motivation to keep going until you succeed, to keep getting up until you are successful. Do you have any closing thoughts, any questions, any comments, Amanda? I think what we are particularly good at as a group is holding each other up and, and finding solutions, and I think that's what we're we excel at um so you know we get those obstacles how do we solve it yeah i agree and you've said it on this um episode actually you've said the collective iq and what we mean by that guys is that everyone's brains working together synergistically trying to solve each other's problems and one of the most enjoyable sessions 
I ever do is a deal surgery where we all sit down and brainstorm how someone can deal the best way. And we look at, you know, what experience have we got in the room from the last few weeks, not a few months or years, from the last few weeks, what have people done in this situation? And that really, really uh, means that people get tip-top advice. I couldn't agree more. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, guys. If you want to check us out on the YouTube channel, we put episodes out every single week where you can see me as rather than just hear me, but you can also see the deals that we're doing. You can see the um, properties that we're going around, etc. In fact, we did one recently, Amanda, didn't we, where we uh, took a load of partners around it and we, we put that on as a YouTube channel as well. So you guys can see that as an episode. But if we can help you in any way at all, don't hesitate to get in touch, guys. Our website is ethicalpropertypartners.com. You can drop us an email. You can get in touch with us however you like. You can even post us a letter if you like. But if we can help you on your property journey in any way, don't hesitate to get in touch. Until next time, happy investing. Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment.